Good morning. It's good to be here. It is good to gather in, in God's house, to gather um, around His Word and with His people. Um, I don't have any announcements today, so are there any announcements? Well, if not, our call to worship uh, comes from Psalm 69. We are gathered into present, into the presence of God by God's call, and we hear His call in these words. I am in pain and distress. May your salvation, O God, protect me. I will praise God's name in song and glorify him with thanksgiving. This will please the Lord more than an ox, more than a bull with its horns and hoofs. The poor will see and be glad. You who seek God, may your hearts live. The Lord hears the needy and does not despise his captive people. Let heaven and earth praise him, the seas and all that move in them, for God will save Zion and rebuild the cities of Judah. Then people will settle there and possess it. The children of his servants will inherit it, and those who love his name will dwell there. Let us pray. Our God and Father above, we do thank you for this reminder that while we may be in pain and distress today, that your salvation does protect us and will bring us to Zion, to your holy hill, to a place where we will dwell with you worship you perfectly, and live eternity in your presence, probing the depths of the salvation that you have given. And so, Lord, it is through that salvation, that salvation that was purchased for us, accomplished by the work of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and applied to us by the Holy Spirit, it is through that work of salvation that we are able to be here in your presence, to be glad to find you when we seek you, to know that you have heard and do not despise us. And so, Lord, as we gather today, let us praise you and worship you. And may you be pleased by our gathering, by our praises, and by our worship. And Lord, how good it is to know that we can approach your holy throne in prayer, especially by praying as you have taught us. Our Father, which art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Just like the psalmist here in Psalm 69 says, the poor will seek and be glad. We lift our voices through the singing of Bible song 144 and sing, my heart was glad. When we consider living life in the presence of God, it should gladden our hearts. It should lift up our heads. So let us stand and sing Bible song 144, my heart was glad.
be seated. As we gather in God's presence, we should be reminded that He is a holy God who calls us to be holy, and yet we fall far short of that. And so hear these words that call us into confession. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Let's take a few moments now to confess before God our idolatries. As you have confessed, hear these words assuring us of God's love. But God is one who shows love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. Our scripture reading today comes from the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10. Paul, after giving his calls to the people of Ephesus to follow a holy life, he says this, finally, Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given to me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. The grass withers, the flowers fail, but the word of our Lord stands forever. We are called in our worship to give God of our tithes and offerings. And so now let us consider how we may give to God. Give 
God and Father above, we do thank you for everything that you give and everything that we have opportunity to return to you. Lord, know that we do this as worship, know that we do this as gratitude. Lord, may you be honored by our worships, our worship of tithes and offerings, and may it be used so that your name might be proclaimed into the darkness of our world. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please take the hymn book and Turn to number 379. Come, thou fount of every blessing. This is a reminder to us of the salvation that has been purchased for us, and as well a reminder that even though we are prone to wander, that that grace of salvation seals us to God and makes us ready for his courts above. So let us remain standing and sing hymn number 379, Come, thou fount of every blessing. Please be seated. It is the truth of Scripture that reveals to us that we are sealed for God's courts above and that it is through His grace. And the Scripture tells a story of God, of man, of redemption, and and it calls for our response. So we have an opportunity to profess the truths of that Scripture today through the Apostles' Creed. So Christian, what do you believe? 
I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. As we approach the Lord in prayer, just a a few updates here. Um, We have been praying for Natalie Wade for a while. She is in UVA right now on on top of her uh, cancer and treatment. She ended up with a a blood clot in her leg as well. So it sounds like from her mom that that's... The treatments, last I heard, were going well. Have you heard anything different? I talked to her mom this morning. Um, she's developed some kidney damage, mm. um, and she's also developed pneumonia. Wow. So she's kind of going downhill. But okay. Okay. She's in good okay. So, yeah, just please be in prayer for Natalie and her mom. Um, just a reminder, Natalie's a friend of Emily's, about the same age, um, and was diagnosed with cancer earlier, uh, late last year, so... Um, also, Teresa Anderson, uh, um, Betty's niece, has been um, placed under hospice care, so she will be transferred from the hospital what, tomorrow. Is that what you said, Betty? Yeah. Okay, it, if things work out that way in God's providence. So Don Farlow is home. He's doing well. I spoke uh, with Donna the other day. Um, he actually ended up home last Sunday after church, so we do praise God for that. Um, continue to pray for our guardsmen. And women, hopefully they will be home soon. Um, some of them we've heard may be coming home later today, but as we know, that can change every five minutes. Um, and then pray for Michelle and her family. Michelle's grandmother passed away uh, this morning about one o'clock. Uh, Michelle had planned on heading down there today. She's flying down, actually. She should be in the air now. Um, so pray for her safe travel. Um, but she was planning on heading down anyway. Um, Melba just went a little bit quicker than they were expecting. So um, please be in prayer for her family and uh, as well. Anything else? Well, if not, let's go to, to the Lord in prayer. Our God and Father above, our, our hearts are heavy today. As the psalmist said, we are in pain and distress as we Consider our world around us and our loved ones. But as we think about Natalie, we lift her to you, knowing that you are the one who can heal, that you are the one who can protect, that you are the one who can walk her through this difficult valley. And so we lift her up to you as as her only hope, knowing that you hear, knowing that you answer, and also knowing that you're sovereign and sometimes your answer looks different than the answer we want. So help us to rest well in that. We lift up Teresa and her family and ask that you will bring them comfort in the midst of this difficult time. As family travels in, we do ask for safety. As as she uh, awaits uh, going home, we just ask that you 
strengthen and comfort her for that. We pray for Melba's family, for Michelle's family. We we rejoice with you that uh, Melba is now lifting her voice in your presence, joining her voice to that heavenly choir. And yet we know that it is difficult for us as we miss her and as we say goodbye to one that we loved and to one that loved you so much. We pray for Don and ask for continued recovery for him and knowing that and thanking you that he made it home sooner than he was originally planning and knowing that you are in control over that situation. And Lord, we pray for our, our guardsmen and guardswomen as well. And we ask that you bring them home soon. We thank you for the peace, peaceful transition of power that we witnessed this week. And we ask that you would uh, help our government officials to see that they no longer need the extra support and the extra security there and, and bring our brothers and sisters and sons and daughters and, and friends and family members home uh, so that they can uh, um, get on with their life and live in this world. And Lord, as we consider Inauguration Day, we do lift up our government. We lift up our new president and vice president. We lift up our new Congress. We lift up our Supreme Court, and we ask that you, uh, that you give them wisdom, that you give them strength to stand for what is right, and that you give them the means by which to rule in a way that provides peace for your people. Lord, Lord turn our hearts toward prayer for our government officials. Lord, we, I confess that I do not pray for them enough and lead me to pray more and to place them in your sovereign hands, knowing that you will be glorified, knowing that you have raised them up, and knowing that when it is time to change, you will, you will tear down rulers as well as raise them up. Lord, your people have been called in the midst of this week to celebrate. To celebrate a, a peaceful transition of power, to, to celebrate a new government that is promising a lot. But Lord, we find it hard to celebrate. We find it hard to celebrate in the midst of a world that oftentimes considers the unborn to be an inconvenience, to be a problem, to be disposable. Lord, we think of the Israelites as they were there in Babylon and as the Babylonians called them to play their harps and to sing their songs. And the Israelites wept and said, how can we sing? as we have watched our babies decimated by invading armies. So Lord, while we rejoice in you and we rejoice in your sovereignty, how can we celebrate in our nation when we watch babies dashed to pieces, thrown away like so much rubbish? Forgive us for standing idly by. Forgive us for the times that we have been quiet Forgive us for not offering more help where help is needed. And forgive us for not speaking your truth to those who are in power. The truth that life is sacred to you. 
All life, all human life, every single human being that is conceived in the womb is made in your image and deserves respect and dignity. Lord, And we have been quiet too long. Forgive us. I do thank you that you are working through means other than your church to curb abortions in our country, but it, one, for the sake of convenience, is too many. So, Lord, turn the hearts of men and women in this country back to seeing the sanctity of human life and help us as your church to lovingly proclaim that truth, not only to those in power, but to our neighbors, to those whom we see and know who are facing a tough decision. Help us to lovingly come alongside them and offer whatever it is we have to meet their needs in a way that honors and glorifies you so that they do not feel pressed into making a decision that takes a life. This is a stain on our country. And we cannot celebrate. Turn our hearts toward you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn with me in the book of Genesis to Genesis chapter 9. We're going to look at the first few verses. We're actually going to be jumping around a little bit uh, from Genesis to Jeremiah to a couple other places. I'll kind of give you a heads up as we're getting there, and I'll do my best to give you time to get there. I know sometimes I transition quickly from Scripture to Scripture, but uh, we are going to be jumping around a little bit. Today we are... Beginning in Genesis chapter 9, we're going to read the first seven verses. This is the account of God renewing his covenant with humanity, renewing it with Noah after the flood has abated, after Noah has left the ark and has built an altar to God, given his promises to Noah. So hear the word of the Lord. Then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. The fear and dread of you will fall upon all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air, upon every creature that moves along the ground and upon all the fish of the sea. They are given into your hands. Everything that lives and moves will be food for you. Just as I gave you the green plants, now I give you everything. But you must not eat meat that has its lifeblood still in it. And for your lifeblood, I will surely demand an accounting. I will demand an accounting from every animal and from each man also. I will demand an accounting for the life of his fellow man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made man. As for you, be fruitful and increase in number. Multiply on the earth and increase upon it. We profess in our culture to have a great respect for life. In fact, we, we profess it to such an extent that friends of mine who I would never have thought I would have heard words like this come from their mouth said things such as, until the immigrant, until the minority, until whatever you want to put there in that list is safe in this country, babies do not deserve to be. 
It is a stain upon our culture, but it is also something that we need to be wary of. There's a little bit of truth in that, except they got it backwards. Because until the baby is safe in this country, nobody is. The baby is the most unprotected of human beings. And if we are unwilling as a culture to protect them, who else are we unwilling to protect? The sick? The aged? The infirm? The disabled? It is a stain upon our culture. And it is one which we must speak out about. And this falls upon me as much as anybody else more than one Sunday a year. So as we consider this today, what I want to look at is why do we have abortion in our culture? I want us to reaffirm that life is sacred And I do want us to affirm that God offers forgiveness. So the first passage I want to turn to comes nearer the end of the scriptures. It comes from the book of James, James chapter four. I have been astounded as I've been going through Proverbs about how much um, correlation there is between Proverbs and James and how much James does absolutely deserve the title, the Proverbs of the New Testament. But we are confronted with the reality of something when we get to James chapter four, beginning in verse one. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but you don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think scripture says without reason that the spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely, but he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Our desires are at war within us, is what James says here in the book, in the fourth chapter of his book. Our desires cause us to war within ourselves, cause us to war with each other, and cause us to war against God. We can trace the root of any rebellious activity toward God to our own desires. How many times do we find ourselves in sin and we are tempted to say Satan tempted me to sin, but when we truly think about it, Satan was not active in that at all because our own desires led us to sin. This is why we have abortion in our culture. It's because of our desires. 
We have shifted our desires in our culture from something that is outside of us, something that is transcendent over and above us that helps us to work toward a common goal as a culture. We have shifted the desires of our culture inward to where instead of having one unified country, we have roughly 331 individuals pursuing their own desires, pursuing their own goal, pursuing their own peace that all happen to live within the geographic bounds of the United States of America. In a sense, it has always been that way, but for some reason in the last hundred years, we have unhooked ourselves from the transcendence of God, or at least admitting that there is a transcendent God who defines and gives purpose to life. And we have hooked what was hooked to transcendence. We have hooked that to ourselves. And it is our desires that lead us to sin. Specifically in the realm of abortion, we want consequence-less pleasure. That is it, plain and simple. We want to be able typically to engage in the pleasures of the flesh without consequence, without inconvenience. Now, I'm broad brushing here. I understand that. I do understand that there are health-related issues. I do understand that there are other things to be taken into consideration, but basically what it boils down to is I don't want to be inconvenienced. We all wrestle with that. And so we don't proclaim against abortion from a, from a, a, a high place of perfection. We all wrestle with our own desires. We all wrestle with our own wants. But the root of it is our own pursuit of pleasure and sin. And it should be confessed. Why do we speak out against abortion? We speak out against abortion because we believe wholeheartedly that life is sacred. Why do we believe life is sacred? Genesis chapter 9, in renewing the covenant of creation with Noah, God references this. He says, for in the image of God has God made man. And that references the words from Genesis chapter 1. We're at the end of that particular passage God says, so God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. There is a way in which whenever we look at another human being, we are given a picture, an image, if you will, of God. Now, this doesn't mean that each and every one of us has a little bit of the divine within us. This doesn't mean that we are each individual little gods that, that rule our own little world. What this means has to go back to the imagery of the time that Moses was writing this down. If I was king of Fairly, an, an auspicious title, I may say, but if I was king of Fairly and I wanted to remind everybody in Fairly that I was king and the one that they owed their allegiance to, the one that they owed their obedience to, I would set up little statues of myself all throughout Fairly. So that whenever people would go to Kroger, 
or to McDonald's or to CVS or to IGA or wherever they went within the bounds of Fairly, they would walk out of those places of business. They would walk out of their homes. They would see a statue of me and they would be reminded, oh, yes, he is sovereign over Fairly. God made statues as well and placed them within his world so that every time we look at another human being, we are to be reminded that God is sovereign over all of creation. We are the pinnacle of creation. He, he formed us differently than he formed the rest of the world. He, he gave us a sense of dignity, a sense of importance. He made us vice regents under kings, if you will, kings underneath the authority of the king of the universe. And he called us his image. And every human being conceived is an image of God without exception. Now, sin has come into the world, and so we are no longer perfect images. Sometimes that imperfection is shown in handicap. Sometimes that imperfection is shown in disability. Sometimes that imperfection is shown in deformity. Sometimes that imperfection is shown in in educational disability and things like that. Sometimes that, that malforming of sin is shown in sickness. But every single human being, regardless of any of those things, is the image of God. It's one of the reasons Anne Bryce, 40 some odd years ago, and her friend decided to, to, to establish Camp Joy in the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church. Because they affirmed and knew that even handicapped people, handicapped humans are created in the image of God and deserved to be treated with dignity and respect. God thinks humans are something special because he made them that way. He thinks it is so important that a human taking the life, the premeditatedly taking the life of another human is treated differently in God's law than us killing an animal or a plant or something along those lines. The only thing worthwhile to pay the price for me taking the life of another human being is for me sacrificing my life. Not as an atonement, but as a punishment, as a judgment upon me. God takes it so far as to reveal like he did to Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 1. Hear these words from Jeremiah chapter 1, beginning in verse 4. It says, Jeremiah's call, he says, The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart appointed you as a prophet to the nations. We know so much more now than Jeremiah did about the process of gestation, of the process of a child growing in the womb of its mother. But it is no less true with what we know than what Jeremiah was told by God, is that God forms the child in the womb. He takes an active role in that. David echoes this in Psalm 139, 13 through 16, where he talks about 
being known by God, being formed by God, being knit together by God in, in language very much like Jeremiah's here in the womb of his mother. God takes an active role in birth, in life. He takes an active role in the image of God. We also see that God is sovereign over both life and death. Psalm 121, that very, very well-known psalm, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. At the end of that verse, he says, the Lord will watch over your coming and your going both now and forevermore. Immediately, that talks about our getting up and our going out for work in the morning and coming home in the evening. But when the psalmist tags the word forevermore on the end of that, he reminds us that it's not only our daily coming and going, but it's our coming into this world and our going out of this world that God is sovereign over. God sees life as so sacred that he takes an active role in every moment of your life from conception to death, from the cradle to the grave. Abortion is wrong. Abortion is a sin. It stops a life. But it is not the unforgivable sin. Abortion is not something that will condemn somebody to hell for for all of eternity because God offers grace and forgiveness. I knew a man who used to do some marches in Lakeland. They would, Sanctity of Human Life Sunday every year, they would form a big cross out of people several miles up and down two highways that crisscrossed there in Florida. And they'd give everybody signs. And I knew a man that, that he, he was very faithful to be there at those marches every year, but he refused to hold a sign. Finally pulled him aside one day and I, and, and I asked him, I said, what's, what's the deal? Why, why won't you hold a sign? And he said, well, look at him. Every sign was focused on the negatives of what abortion does. Abortion kills. Abortion stops a beating heart. Abortion is murder. All those things you've seen on signs and posted on social media and, and read in newsletters and newspapers, all those things that are true. But his concern was, while I believe all those things, I don't want a mom who's driving by to leave this condemned and hopeless. Because the gospel is just as real for her as it is for you and for me. And while abortion is unjust, our hope comes from a greater injustice. As the Lord God who took on flesh died a death that he deserved far, far less than the unborn child. And he said, so I stand in solidarity with the pro-life movement, but I want it proclaimed as well. That God offers forgiveness to those who have had abortions, who have performed abortions, who have thought about abortions. Several years later, I did notice for some reason that year I didn't partake in the march, but I did notice as I was driving through that every fifth sign offered a message of hope, offered a message of forgiveness, offered the message of the gospel. So that organization I do appreciate on my friend's behalf that they changed the signage. Brothers and sisters, when we confront this 
stain on our country, on our society. We need to do so in grace. Offering forgiveness as well as truth speaking to the world. We each pursue our own desires. We each need to grow in our understanding that life is sacred and we each need to know the forgiveness that God offers. So what can you and I do? It's the big question at the end of this. First thing we can do is we can pray. If you're anything like me, you take that for granted. You forget the power of prayer. You forget that God ordained that the way He would preserve His people in the wilderness was through the prayer of Moses. Several million people made it from Egypt to the promised land without getting wiped out by God because Moses was willing to stand and pray. How do we pray for this particular stain upon our country? I think lament is something that we forget. In Psalm 137, it was one of the strongest laments of the Scripture. By the rivers of Babylon we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. There on the poplars we hung our harps, for there our captors asked us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. How can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, may my right hand forget its skill. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth. If I do not remember you, if I do not consider Jerusalem my highest joy. Remember, O Lord, what the Edomites did on the day Jerusalem fell. Tear it down, they cried, tear down its foundations. O daughter of Babylon, doomed to destruction, happy is he who repays you for what you have done to us. He who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. It's a hard one for us to read. But think about yourself as an Israelite sitting there in Jerusalem as the Babylonian armies come through and snatch babies out of your hands and the hands of your friends and dash their heads upon the rocks. It's horrifying. And the psalmist cared enough about it to take that to God. We don't, we don't pray destruction. We can pray in precatory psalms. We can pray laments. But we, we have the gospel. We have the fully revealed gospel. And we know that God's justice and judgment can fall upon the cross instead of upon the perpetrator. But we need to take the horrors of this stain to God and say, do something about it. I cannot celebrate anymore. It's the most powerful thing we can do. The other thing we can do is vote. I know many of you have voted life and, and, and understand that, that that is a good thing. But in addition to voting, we need to hold our elected officials accountable. Carl Truman several years ago wrote a book about the American political system. He's a, a British, so he's a British guy, so he's writing from outside. And he said that 
so many people since he moved to America told him how a certain political party is the party of life. And he asked him, he says, how long have you been voting for them? 20, 30 years. He said, great, you have the most horrific abortion laws in the developed world. If we're going to vote life, we need to hold our elected account, uh, officials accountable to why we voted for them. Don't just vote and sit back and hope that they will do what they say. Because I'll let you in on a little secret, they won't. Hold them accountable. First, fight, and then next, fight for small advancements and then keep going. Take every little victory, celebrate it, but don't give up. Continue to move. And then a little closer to home, you can volunteer. I would imagine at some point in our lives, maybe even right now, you have known or do know somebody who was potentially wrestling with this decision. Walk alongside them. Offer them an ear, a shoulder to cry on. Offer them to help take them to doctor's appointments. Offer them options to choices that they have before them. Connect them with the agencies. Maybe that will help them with adoption, if that's an option for them. Connect them with agencies that will help them with food and diapers and clothing for their baby. Come ask us to help. It's what we are supposed to do as the church. The the church of the first century, as hated and reviled as it was, kind of had this love-hate relationship. The culture had a love-hate relationship with the church. And the culture in which the church sprang up, male babies were far more wanted than female babies. So oftentimes, female babies would be left in the dump. And the church would go and collect them and care for them and adopt them. Be willing to be that type of person with somebody you know that may be struggling with this decision. Give to agencies. We have given in the past to Women's Choice. We will probably take another offering at some point soon. We will take another offering at some point soon for them. But if you'd like to give before that, that time, let me know. I'll give you their address. It's, a, it's an organization in Charleston that works to help moms choose life rather than abortion. And remember the gospel. Remember the forgiveness that God gives. Because the reality is, not only may you know somebody who is struggling with this decision, but you may know somebody who has already made this decision and is suffering the spiritual consequences of that. And remind them of the grace of God, that God cared so much about life that he gave his own through his son. That God cared so much about offering forgiveness of sins that he provided the means by which we may be forgiven. Be like my friend, Stand for life, but stand for life with the gospel. Let us pray. Our God and Father above, how can we celebrate? The means by which we celebrate is the gospel. 
We don't celebrate this stain upon our country. We don't celebrate the loss of millions upon millions of lives. We celebrate your justice, your mercy, your hatred for sin, and your grace. We longingly await the day when all injustice is met with justice. And we thank you that the justice that we deserve fell upon the cross so that we might have grace, so that we might be given mercy rather than what we deserve. So Lord, as we fight this travesty, this horror, this holocaust in our country and in our world, remind us to move forward humbly, graciously, generously, and prayerfully into this battle. I pray all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Our closing hymn comes from the hymn book. It's hymn number nine. Now thank we all our God. Each and every one of us has something that in our lives that deserved God's justice. And yet, God gave us grace. So let us stand and thank God for the grace that He has given and the grace that He continues to give into our world. Let us stand and sing hymn number nine, Now Thank We All Our God.
As you go this week, know that God is gracious. Know that God is drawing people to Himself. Know that God is just. And we'll see these sins paid for, either in the cross or in eternity. And as you go this week, take this blessing upon you, the blessing of a father looking at his children. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn His countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.